welcome to The Gold Exchange with Keith Wiener, where we untangle market and policy complexity using timeless economic principles. For show notes and archives, go to goldexchangepodcast.com. And now, on to today's episode. Hello again, and welcome to The Gold Exchange Podcast. I'm John Flaherty, and I'm here with Keith Wiener, founder and CEO of Monetary Metals. Today, we're going to start a two-part series on inflation. A lot can be said on the subject because it touches our lives so directly. In fact, just yesterday I was listening to a sports talk radio show and they were discussing the salaries of professional quarterbacks and how those big contracts keep getting bigger. In the first episode, we'll seek to define inflation and how it's measured. And then in the next episode, we'll explore more of its effects. So first to definitions. Keith, uh, a couple of the mainstream ones that come to mind is simply rising prices. Um, that's kind of what uh, I'd reference the professional quarterback discussion, and that's kind of ties directly to that. Another more sophisticated definition would be that it's just simply an increasing currency supply uh, relative to a fixed amount of goods, which then leads to rising prices. And so I've seen examples of kind of a sponge where you have this pool of currency and this fixed amount of goods has to sort of swell in response to a bigger pool of currency. And that's the effects that we see. Um, and then, of course, there's the famous Milton Friedman, who said that inflation is everywhere and always a monetary phenomenon. So, Keith, I'd love for you to comment on these definitions, what might be the, the shortcomings and then how you would define inflation. Well, first of all, one of the shortcomings of Milton Friedman's definition, assuming that the rising salaries of quarterbacks is taken to be a sign of inflation, it could very well be, and I'm not somebody who follows the professional sports industry closely, it could very well be that as the market for professional football grows, there's simply uh, more viewers and, um, and more dollars in that market, and the value of the quarterback is actually higher. So in other words, sometimes prices change in response to actual changes in value. If uh, something happens to destroy 10% of the wheat crop, some wheat rust or drought or something like that, then uh, wheat actually becomes scarcer and the price of wheat should actually rise. And that is not a monetary phenomenon. Although Friedman would quibble and say, well, I meant a general rise in, in price that's not one specific to one, uh, one product. But of course, if the price of wheat rises enough, then people turn to the substitutes such as corn and potatoes and uh, if there's enough of a wheat shortage or a wheat scarcity, then the prices of those other commodities could be bid up as well. And then one could say the food is getting more expensive because the marginal use of corn could be to feed pigs. And if now cor more corn is being demanded to feed people, then the price of pig feed goes up and therefore, therefore the price of pork goes up and so on. But getting back to inflation, there's something I observe with a little bit of irony. And that is that, of course, very few people would agree to measure the dollar in terms of gold. So what do they want to measure the dollar in terms of? Well, they want to measure the dollar in terms of consumer prices, which are, of course, measured in dollars. So it becomes a bit circular. Prices are measured in dollars. The dollar is measured in terms of prices. And people say, well, if prices are going up, then that's inflation and the dollar is worth less. And the problem with that is there are lots of things that can damage or undermine the dollar without necessarily causing prices to rise. And conversely, if prices are rising, it could be due to non-monetary phenomenon, one of which I've written a lot about, and that is the, the rise or the increase of, of what I call useless ingredients. So uh, the quintessential useless ingredient 
is when the government forces gas stations to put um, either either ethanol or a chemical called MBTE into the gasoline. It doesn't add any power. It doesn't add any value to the gasoline. In fact, it decreases your gas mileage and it may increase the damage to your motor, but it adds a lot of cost. And that's a perfect example of something that is a useless ingredient. And useless ingredients are being mandated in every industry. Uh, and so there's a general upward pressure on prices due to the adverse effects of the ever rising onslaught of regulations. So, so getting out of that, the other thing that monetarists such as Friedman tend to look at is the quantity of dollars, which they miscall money. The dollar is a credit. Uh, it's not an extinguisher of credit. We talked about that, I believe, in the previous episode. But a rising quantity of dollars, and they try to compare the quantity of dollars, which they call a money supply, to the quantity of goods, which they call a goods supply. But the two are not comparable uh, because the goods that are produced are to be consumed. And money, whether it's dollars or gold, is something that endures. So if I buy wheat from you in a transaction, the money that I give you, you can use it for the next transaction and the recipient of that money, you know, the same money can use it for the next transaction and so forth. But I buy the wheat in order to, let's say, bake it into bread and then sell it to consumers to be consumed. So we're comparing something that is constantly being produced and constantly being uh, consumed or destroyed. And we're comparing that to something that is not a flows, but a stocks. And so the, the idea of comparing the two is tempting. It's convenient because it would make economics so simple. If you could say, well, if you double the money supply, you double the general price level. And therefore, conversely, you can measure the debasement of the dollar in, in terms of uh, consumer prices. Very tempting, very convenient, but it doesn't, it doesn't really work that way. So again, there's more to the story than, than simple rising prices. And, and I think that's the point you're trying to make. And you mentioned a few of these, or you alluded to a few of these uh, metrics. I think the most common one that we see is the CPI, which we all know stands for Central Planning Index. No, no, no. Consumer Price Index. I've heard it called the CPI. What, what, is that a good measure of inflation? Well, people who call it CPI are stuck on the idea that if you double the quantity of dollars, you double the price level. So, of course the official government statistic of the price level haven't, hasn't doubled, and this troubles certain folks, so then they say, well, the whole thing's a lie. Really, prices have been skyrocketing as much as the quantity of dollars. Uh, but it's not true. It just isn't. If you go to the grocery store, it's not true that prices are skyrocketing in the way that the theory predicts. So instead of questioning the theory, they're questioning the data that, that non-confirms the theory. So what about, what about the M numbers? M1, M2, M3 that are produced by the Fed and, and used in all sorts of sophisticated models to inform the central planner's decisions. Are these reliable or meaningless numbers ultimately? So one interesting observation is that there's endless debate as to what the proper measure of the money supply is, right? So conventional monetarists look at M0 and M1, M2, M3, and then the Austrians you know, look at um, Austrian money supply, true money supply, MZM, there's all these different you know, definitions without getting into the technicalities of it. What's interesting to me is that what's happened is since 1971, they've removed money, gold, from the monetary system. Everything else is credit. The difference between a dollar, a Federal Reserve liability, and a 30-year uh, treasury liability, a 30-year bond, 
is duration and interest rate. They're both credit instruments. So the, the reason why there's so much debate about where to draw the line is they're, they're trying to draw the line on the assumption that they're trying to separate two different kinds of things. They're trying to draw a dividing line between kind A and kind B. But in fact, they're all the same kind of thing, which is credit. And they're trying to draw the line, therefore, deciding by a matter of degree which things go on the left side of the line and which things, things go on the right side of the line. And so ultimately, it's, it's an exercise that doesn't produce a lot of meaningful uh, value. So Keith, what about velocity? I know we've touched on this in a, in a prior episode, but I think it's important uh, in light of this discussion. How, how does velocity impact inflation? Well, as, as, as I think I said in that episode, you know, it's like you're in organic chemistry lab and you're trying to synthesize aspirin and you're supposed to get a certain amount and you don't. And so you invoke the fudge factor. The equations for quantity theory of money say if you double the money supply, you're supposed to get a doubling. You don't. And so then you have to plug in a velocity and say, well, velocity was halved. That's why prices didn't change, you see. But I don't think velocity is really a real uh, notion. I think it's fabricated because it's, it's fit to purpose. It makes something that isn't working appear to work. And so you have an equation and it becomes a tautology. And I think it's an attempt to shore up or bolster a failed theory, which is the quantity theory of money. Gotcha. You have a chart that you often um, flash in your lectures. We'll, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes, but could you walk us through the details of that chart and why it's relevant to this discussion? Every industry is constantly working to improve its efficiency. So for example, I wrote an article for Forbes on um, how much wages that really have, have really been falling over the decades. And I got some great data from the Wisconsin Dairy Association on dairy production. And the real factors of dairy production, that is like how many cows you got per acre or how much land per cow, I guess, how much labor per cow, how much milk per cow you got and so forth. The actual real resources that went into producing a gallon of milk fell by something like 90% between 1965 and 2012. And so if you had a money that held its value, you know, you had objective money, um, you should see a 90% decrease in the price of milk. Now, if somehow the monetary magicians were to debase the dollar at a corresponding rate, so over that same time period, they debased the dollar by 90%, which is impossible. And even if they did, it wouldn't affect the price of milk that way. But leaving aside those two glaring errors, they managed to debase the dollar at a matching rate such that the price of milk actually held steady. Most people would be tempted to say, well, there's no inflation or there's disinflation, but actually the price of milk should have fallen 90% approximately. Um, and it didn't because of, of monetary manipulation. And so that's what that chart is showing is there's this huge drop in you know, the real cost. Uh, and then people only get all excited about the 2% increase in the nominal you know, price, missing the fact that production of milk along with the production of everything else is you know, orders of magnitude more efficient and therefore lower cost today versus in 1965. Yeah, I think it, I think it highlights in, in one picture kind of what you're trying to communicate. And that is, there's a lot going on under the surface and to s try to simplify uh, inflation down to just um, quantity theory of money is missing a lot. Let's conclude by talking about gold. Is gold a reliable, the, the dollar price of gold rather, a reliable measure of inflation? If you mean in terms of the dollar should lose value as they debase and debauch it. Not necessarily. And the thing that 
holds up the value of the dollars is, is the struggles of the debtors. Every producer is in a debt up to their eyeballs. They have to work harder and harder and harder. They're on a treadmill that's cranking faster to produce more and more stuff to dump on the market price, dump on the bid price in the market in order to frantically raise enough dollars to service their debt. And so you don't necessarily see the monetary dishonesty. And so I don't see it as a quantity problem. I see it as an ethical or moral problem. You don't see the dishonesty. You don't see the corruption necessarily in dropping price of the dollar, which I think should be measured in gold. So just, just for reference, in August of 2020, the dollar had made a new low of around 15 milligrams of gold. So I think the dollar should be priced not in consumer goods, but in gold. It made a new low of 15 milligrams. And today, as of Friday, uh, February 26, we're recording this just slightly after that, the dollar is about 18 milligrams of gold. So it's, it's risen from 15 to 18 milligrams, which is a rise of about 20%. So the dollar has some real volatility in it. And I propose, I suggest that gold should be used as the closest thing to a immovable uh, object. It's like measuring altitude. Uh, you know, if you climb a thousand meters, you say, well, I got a thousand meters higher. And somebody could criticize that and they could say, well, you do realize the earth is going around the sun at this velocity and the sun is going around the center of the Milky Way galaxy at this velocity. The Milky Way galaxy is careening towards another galaxy that, uh, you know, the two galaxies are going to collide in another few billion years. And so therefore, the, the motion of climbing up the mountain is non-objective or something like that. To which I would say, if you're on earth, the appropriate standard for altitude is sea level. That's the reference point. And if you're measuring economic goods or economic values, the appropriate standard is gold. And uh, I think the dollar, along with everything else, should be measured in gold. All right. Well, that's all the time we have today. Next episode, we'll continue our discussion on inflation. Here in Arizona, as with other places, real estate is just going bananas. You know, we're, we're seeing gas prices on the rise. So we'll continue to talk about actual inflation, its effects, how the Fed is involved inflation targets. Thank you for joining us on the Gold Exchange. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Go to goldexchangepodcast.com to learn how you can earn a yield on gold paid in gold.